other people can copy based on aesthetic ideas, but what they're not doing is imitating something that's core to their own brand that is core to, say, Love Tea in this example, that's that's pure and honest to them. And I think when you're employing a design agency, one of credit and record, it, that quality of design speaks a lot louder than an imitation. Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at Haramata University in Melbourne, and I'm here with Luke Brown, who's creative director of the company You Keep, the initials TCYK. It was founded by Riz Gorgel, founder and creative principal about 10 years ago. And I believe, Luke, you studied visual communications at RMIT. I did indeed. Thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. Um, It's an interesting area. I mentioned before we even sat down that it's an area that a lot of people just don't know anything about, yet it employs tens of thousands of people, graphic design, communications, creating messages that you're not even aware that you're receiving the message. When you're studying visual communications at RMIT, where were you thinking of heading? (laughs) Is it just, is it a general course? Is it, you cover... What, what, what were you thinking of in 2000, in the early noughties when you were studying? Yeah, it's a great question. I, my father's a graphic designer, so I had some insight into the landscape of graphic design. His name? Robert Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could understand the practical side to design through his work. Um, and I guess the university kind of taught me the conceptual um, or the blue sky thinking side to it as well. The thing, when I started out, I didn't really know which way I wanted to take it because it was, we were the first year from, in 2003, I believe, that changed from graphic design to communication design. And so you graduate and you say, I'm a communication designer and everyone says, well, what's that? So you end up saying it's it's a graphic designer, you know, logos, business cards, <laughs> that kind of thing. But obviously it's far more, as you alluded to. So what were you thinking at that point as you were graduating? I mean, what did your father specialise in? What did Robert specialise in? Um, He specialised in more um, sort of publication, like sort of just brochures and and mail-outs and catalogues and things like that. Um, But when I graduated, I think, you know, you're you're 21, so the world is at your feet and you're young and dumb and full of confidence. And um, I didn't really know. I ended up I ended up working in an advertising agency that's no longer um, in operation, but um, that was the first point of call. Yeah. And your experience there? So my experience there was you don't uh, have to name the firm. No, no, no. It was cool. it's it was a yeah. it was a, a firm called George Melbourne, um, and it was bought out within a year of by Publicis, um, and it was just like a creative niche advertising agency where I just sort of learnt to, you know cut my teeth doing design concepts and then I sort of merged into the more traditional models of uh, design studios in Melbourne. So what would you say the company you keep, it's a uh, multi-sectorial design company. I read it's unconventional in its approach and layout. What does that mean? Because everyone likes to think they're a bit left of centre and unconventional, but what would you say, and perhaps illustrate through a couple of examples whether it's retail on retail offering or whether it's whatever it is yeah um i think that is a good point a lot of people do say things and don't back them up i think the thing um with the company you keep is there's a real conceptual rigor um and 
conceptual design intent behind everything we do. We're not an aesthetically driven business. Um, we believe in, you know, the famous quote, Dita Ram's less but better. We believe in kind of, you know, minimalistic and longevity and timeless design. Um, and we definitely believe that core to that is like a really strong concept that connects with a wide audience. Now, this maybe isn't something that's fully new to the industry, but I think what we do do is try to push the envelope through our design, you know, um, intuition and experience compared to maybe our competitors to do something unexpected, have a bit of surprise, um, kind of shake things up from the normal. So, look, give me an example that kind of illustrates that. Mm. For pe- because people, you know, it's still an area that isn't, you know, you walk into, a, uh, for example, you might walk into a retail environment yeah. And you just think, oh, it's just clothing hanging on a rack. Yeah. But it's not. No, absolutely. It is. So is there a retail example? There is, yeah. There, well, one, a, a product would be non, which we did the... N-O-N? Uh, N-O-N, yep. So we did the um, branding, the sort of brand strategy and all packaging design for this non-alcoholic beverage. And the in the landscape that was sort of really shaking up what a non-alcoholic beverage could be a few years ago four or five years ago um and they were really irreverent in their attitude and we wanted the brand to kind of represent that irreverence and that cutting through the traditional norms because you know there's such a stigma around non-alcoholic beverages that they're not of a high quality that they're not as socially acceptable and so non was really breaking down those barriers by using like um high-quality ingredients that are sort of blended and created by sommeliers to be a comparable extension to something like a natural wine. And so they're kind of trailblazers in this space. So everything for non, when we had to come up with the name, was about being kind of different from everything else that's around there. It's not a, you know illustrative label of a field with, you know, you know, flowers blowing in the wind. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, um, we wanted the design to be irreverent. We wanted it to almost feel like they did it themselves. So there's like enough of a level of craft that you can't quite tell, but you could almost think that maybe they designed the labels themselves. Is, um, Luke, is there an image connected to this non, or is it just the words non? It's just the words non, and it's we use typography as our image. So we, the name actually doesn't mean non for non-alcoholic beverage. It's kind of, it's a name that, Responds to an attitude. It's a um, an acronym, so it stands for Notice of Non-Compliance, and that's kind of the mantra that they live, or we sort of framed them to kind of live by in their attitude with every expression that the brand puts out to the world. Um, it's an important area as we learn more and more about the problems with uh, alcohol. Mm. It's an important area. How um, difficult is it to sell a concept like that? Because you know, it's obviously not what they were expecting when they turned up and saw the words non. Yeah. I mean, they would have, they mightn't have expected a, a lovely uh, field with <laughs> you know, people, you know, having orange juice. Yeah. But what was their reaction at the time and, and how did you kind of convince them that was the right track? Um, well, one thing we do do with all our projects is sort of a brand positioning. So it's kind of looking at all the competitor sets, what's everyone else doing? what's unique to their brand, what's unique to their process, and finding that sweet spot where there's an, there's no kind of real competition that we can position them, and then through all these brand touch points, reinforce that positioning. So it, you're right, they were not necessarily comfortable with it off the bat. They were a little um, confronted, but had to think about it with time, and they did think about it. They moulded over, and they realised that 
what that does do is cut right through all the noise of everything else out there that separates them and you know they could see the value it's, in it. It's, um, it is a good word that you said, Luke, noise, because there's a lot of noise out there at the moment and a lot of crap. Mm. And it's, it's very difficult to cut through all that mm. activity that's going on and reach an audience. Mm. So it's important more now than it is Absolutely. ever before. Yeah, I think it's not kind of going on our conversation before. It's not actually that hard to do either. I think what you we were kind of talking before this podcast is a lot of people are kind of just riffing on the same tired ideas and you know cookie cutter approach. We did it with a brand Love Tea, where if you were to go to a, the supermarket and you look at the um, aisle of teas, every tea packaging is just screaming with these bright colors it's like trying to grab your attention with patterns and it's just yelling at you right we're having a cup of tea is quiet it's quiet it's something you do where you take time out it's peaceful it's almost like a sense of meditation or an exhale and so what we did is we're like well um, love tea which is the, the brand that came to us for this packaging redesign you know they're naturopaths they're lovely calm people they're beautiful people they take time out to experience the joy of drinking a cup of tea and want to people to experience that joy themselves so through the packaging design we stripped all the color out we made put the ingredient and image of the ingredient on the front of the of, of the pack over the story of the quality of the tea and their brand story so it's sort of these layers of hierarchy that talk to the um uniqueness of the, the product but what that does with these kind of beige and white and grays is it just cuts through all that noise, all that colour, so that when you're seeing it on the shelf, you see this wall of calmness, and that that's you know right down the middle of all the noise and and the clutter of all the and other. It's theater. just a relief, and it's a relief exactly. Um, Luke, that's an interesting idea, but when you present that fresh approach and a very calming response, then how soon do you find that very neutral palette appearing next to your? Love tea. Um, six months. <laughs> six months. So does that? What, so what does that do to, but, to the whole system? You have to kind of reinvent it again. Well, I would say that if your main goal is to always just stand out, potentially, mm-hmm. but I think other people can copy based on aesthetic ideas. But what they're not doing is imitating something that's core to their own brand that is core to, say, Love Tea in this example, that's that's pure and honest to them. And I think when you're employing a design agency, one of credit and record, it, that quality of design speaks a lot louder than an imitation. And I suppose if they've established that identity mm. initially, then they own that space. And exactly. so really even when people walk into a supermarket and see a very similar product, yeah. they still go to yours. Absolutely. Because then, they think, well, that's the one that started it. Exactly. It's the same as, you know, it's, it's imitation is flattery. How many, you know, Eames replica chairs are there out there, you know? Million. Million. So, like, <laughs> exactly. So, and that's the thing. It's a, um, there's always going to be people that, that copy beautiful design. Um, and that's just sort of a part of the landscape. What other areas of design, apart from food, packaging is strong with the company? So, we, yeah, we do say that we're, uh, you know, um, we explore many areas, um, but we love publication design. We love branding. We're, we're branding design first, uh, branding design agency When first. you say publication, mm. Luke, 
expand on that? What magazines? Yeah, so like brochures. The last few publications we've done are some um, retrospective artist books for CCP, the Centre for Contemporary Photography. Oh yeah. Um, and so we've done books for them. That's something we love to do. We love brand. We love, um, you know, we've done brands of many different scales. So working at the mo- uh, at the moment with the City of Melbourne on their Greenland project and the branding and the representation of that for the City of Melbourne, down to small things like the niche galleries in Collingwood, like a Grout project or. So the way that a brand can express and be touched far beyond a logo is kind of where we um, find our most resonance. How do you, um, Luke, start the process? Is it uh, obviously like an architect or a designer, you sit down with the clients, you meet with them and find out their aspirations, what they're hoping to achieve? Yes. And then what's the next stage? You brainstorm or...? It's really about, for us... It is a, a lot about dialogue and drawing information out of them. They're the ones that really understand their business. Um, but then it's really understanding the landscape and the market. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to really understand what their competitors are doing. What are they doing well? What aren't they doing well? Where is there areas for opportunity for us to um, explore or exploit creative opportunities? Um, what are, What's going to resonate with their audience and have a sort of timeless quality with their audience and so we're kind of doing research and it's we don't have a set we don't believe in a strategic designer just doing you know some strategy handing it to the graphic designer and they roll it out we believe that our designers are all taught strategically and we work with strategists and designers hand in hand to create um, these brand expressions and it really just comes from research understanding the market and then yeah exploring and and getting to work and you know with a product whatever it is whether it's um you know uh, food item or something larger do you test it initially before it goes into production or do you just take the risk and say look I think this is actually going to work and it just you hope it does work because otherwise the company's produced x amount of you know collateral and you think oh god yeah we should have gone blue rather than red well so do you test anything yeah we do um it depends on the brief and it depends on the client. So we've been working with Brown Brothers on some uh, new range with, uh, for their wines and that will go to market testing and um, there'll be feedback based on options through that. But other brands like Non, where they're upstarts, they don't have the, the money for that. So we have to use our you know 20 years of experience to um, and intuition to know what is right and I think and a lot of people come to us for that trust. What are the things that seem obvious, but they're actually the worst thing you do. You know, for someone who who isn't an, an expert in that area, mm. well, what are the things that, you know, people out there think, oh, no, you just need to do this, you just need to have clarity, you just need to have... But what are the things that, in your sector, yeah. that are just... You do the opposite rather than the obvious? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people... We kind of touched on it before want to be loud and it's the classic joke of you know make the logo bigger but um a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that their brand is their logo um as as opposed to something far more visceral or sensory and so i think that's generally something that that happens that we have to kind of educate people on that a brand is something that is experienced it's tactile it's touched you know whether that's digitally physically has a sensorial component a sonic component um, and it's a story. Exactly. I mean, you're really trying to tell a story That's and correct. it might only be in a few words, but that has to resonate. 
Yes, very much. And it's also the story of how um, not just the brand itself, but how the audience can use or you know, um, work that story into their own personal stories. Okay. So where, you know, there are certain things in design that are kind of directional. They kind of take you into a certain way of thinking, mm. whether it's architecture, whether it's fashion. Where do you see your area moving into going, if you were looking in five years' time, where mm. do you think things are going? Do you mean the company you keep or design? Yeah, no, for you. Yeah, so we're a really... Well, I suppose also for the broader the broader market. Mm. I think, obviously, brands at the moment, from the brand, if I take it from the brand standpoint, as opposed to just the company you keep, but um, are having to kind of pivot into new technologies in areas they haven't previously before. You know, there's the whole... You know, buzz around the metaverse and things like that. Never we, heard of it before. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 62. <laughs> so you know, it's basically What's it called the metaverse. Metaverse. So it's essentially yeah. the the virtual world for where brands you can no longer just have a bricks and mortar fashion. If you're a, say a fashion brand, you can't. You can no longer just have a bricks and mortar store or stores. Some marketing and get people into those stores. You have to cater in the digital environment, in the digital world, have digital stores, digital products that people can buy, and more of that is going to become more apparent um, and more required for. Luke, you know, as an older person who only got a mobile phone a couple of years ago, as, um, and only through being dragged into a shop, <laughs> I really didn't want to go there. Um, don't you think there's a place? or a slight return to bricks and mortar if the experience is created there, that it can actually... You know, I think what's happened now with... If you're looking at the retail landscape, everyone's left left their guard down mm-hmm. and it's so boring now walking into a store, yeah. a physical store. But do you think if people actually made the effort of doing something different in a physical space that there could possibly be a resurgence of interest in the more traditional form of, say, retailing? Well, I do think so. I think with with the birth of, you know, the metaverse and, and these other kind of platforms, um, there is a rebellion. There, there was always a rebellion for technology. You know, people, there's that, you know, the internet's just a passing fad. It'll never take off. You know, there's, there's those sort of slogans from newspapers. Yeah. Um, but I think, I do think that great design intent um, can stand the test of time. So something like a bricks-and-mortar store will always have a place. I agree with you that I don't think people are pushing the boundaries enough. No. Um, generally in the you know mass market, I think there's niche brands that really do do that and do that in an interesting way. So where do you think it's going generally, though, apart from that? You know, where do you think the company, the company you keep, where do you think that's going? Um, where we, are the things that you're interested in down the track that perhaps aren't... I mean, you don't have to give trade secrets away. No, no, no. Um, But where do you think things haven't been explored as fully as they should? I think one of the models... Like, we... A lot of the designers there have cut their teeth working in some of the best design studios across Australia. And what that has taught us is what we don't want our business to be. And that is um, we don't see... uh, graphic design studio is a traditional graphic design studio, particularly moving into the future. And we see it more as a brand that people have relationship to on different levels. So, you know, someone might come to us and say, hey, we want you to collaborate on a perfume. We're excited by that. We want to collaborate on a chair design or architecture, industrial design, product design, um, as well as graphic design, music, installation, 
video. All these sort of things are avenues where it becomes almost like an art-based practice that has a yeah. commercial acumen. Are you doing in working in some of those areas at the moment? Absolutely, yeah. So, so an example of yeah. that would be um, we were invited to um, for the um, NGV's um, uh, I've forgotten the name their table gala. Oh yes, um, uh, table settings. Uh, there's a name for it. Yeah, um, it's fabulous. Yes, um, art, art of art of table art or art of dining. Art of dining. That's art it. of dining. Thank you. Um, we were asked to contribute a table to that. And if you think about what everyone does is they go to Harry the Hire and they get a table and then they decorate everything on top of it with these big displays. For us, it was, well, no, a table is about communion. It's about people. It's about sharing. It's about connection. So I don't want to put something on the table that blocks that view so I can't talk to my people around me. So we designed our own table. We didn't didn't go to Harry the Hire. We built a table with um, Studio Wonder that is circular so everyone can kind of have the same level of sort of hierarchy on the table. There's not the, the middle people that are the glue. They'll face each other. The table is then concaved on the inside so you can kind of see these candles and mirrors around it and a beautiful flower arrangement that um, would invite I, you into it. I think it. I saw that. Well, there you go. That was our table. Yeah, I think I saw that. So that's lovely. like an industrial design pro, not, uh, sort of product, not product, slash mm. art piece, not art piece that we created um, as an experiential component to a, a, essentially a brief that came from... Look, I interrupted you, Luke, so sorry, but so you had the candles inset yep. into this kind of almost... Con- and it was all mirrored, so all the candles were all mirrored and um, refracting off each other. Yeah. So it was really about creating a mood. Exactly. It's about a mood. It's about creating... It's kind of doing something a bit differently. And that kind of goes back to when we talk about why, how do we say we do things different? Well, it's kind of looking at what everyone else is doing and not just doing the same thing but a little bit to the left. It's kind of reinventing the the brief. The trouble is there would have been so many people in the the Great Hall that day going, what's that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's good. Yeah. We're okay with with making people uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, I don't think it made me feel uncomfortable. I think from memory it was quite a soothing experience and quite refreshing. It's probably a bit like the tea on the shelf. Yes. That when you get bombarded with just something that's everywhere, it's the things that surprise you that are kind of least expected. Yeah. And you reflect and there's obviously a thought process that goes through it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, when people dare to be bold, I think, is when you can have the most impact. Um, you know, you can think about traditional brands like milk brands, whatever, that try to, you know, for years in the 50s or whatever, advertising the benefits of milk and not getting anywhere. And then they come up with a campaign, got milk, that's all it is, you know, sales through the roof because yeah. it's impactful, it's short, it's sticky, people remember it, um, and it's provocative and it's yeah. kind of fun. It's kind of so this is a really difficult question. Yeah. And, look, if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Mm. Um but I feel Melbourne needs a bit of a kick at the moment. Yep. You know, um, I find it's a bit slow. Yes. And I think, you know, I regularly travel overseas and I, I can compare. You know, I think there's some interesting things about Melbourne. It's certainly not, um, you know, it's been called marvellous Melbourne in the <laughs> Victorian times. If you were giving it a pitch, mm. and if you don't want to answer this question because it's not fair, it's putting you on the spot, <laughs> how would you sell Melbourne? Like, what is it that kind of would really get people coming here? Um, well, I think, and I'm I'm not going to joke and say the coffee, um, but I would say that what Melbourne and I guess Australia has that's unique is our very unique First Nations history. 
um, which isn't anywhere else in the world. And so maybe there needs to be kind of like how New Zealand has done a more of a reconcilia- reconciliation, a um, connection to that history past. and that past and an acknowledgement of that past because that's a unique facet of Australia that people from overseas say could come and experience and learn the history of um, regardless of how unpleasant the history may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that's really unique to Melbourne that no one else could, could do. We have different obvious First Nations and Aboriginal cultures around the world, obviously, but um, none like there is in Australia. Mm-hmm. I think from the, one of the, the things it's a blessing and a curse in Melbourne in the design landscape is that it's it's very easy here. You know, we have a relatively great um, sort of cost of living. um, Going up. Yep. You know, it's, it's (laughs) it's expensive, but you know, not, not um, totally crazy. Um, And you can look at places like Greece that have gone through, you know, how many recessions, but their art movements, particularly at the moment are just, you know, skyrocketing because through that kind of struggle is, that rebellion and that passion for the arts that um, has to be expressed and can be expressed only in those sort of climates. So I, I definitely think, and that's the opposite to the cosmopolitan kind of angle, I think, you know, obviously cities like London and Paris, um, they have the history, they have the, the numbers of people. We're a very small small city, so it's kind of hard to compete. So rather than trying to sell ourselves as the most sophisticated mm. cities in the world, which we simply aren't, mm we need to look at a different perspective. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Look, Luke, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Um, Thank you for having me. And it's, I think people, when they think of design, it becomes very uh, tunnel-like. Mm. They only see it in the physical form. And so the areas that you're working on are just as important, but they're not really spoken about very often. Yeah. So I think that's important. Well, yeah, hopefully uh, maybe together we can change that. (laughs) So you've been um, listening to Luke Brown, creative director of the company You Keep, and Stephen Crafty, talking design at RMIT. Thanks so much for listening.